2: I was a dog off the leash, Paul. It was like he goes, "I want you running around. I want you jumping up on the risers. I want you right up front in the guitar solos. Get out there in the spotlight." He only had to tell me once, brother.
3: <laughs> there were times when the Beatles came in the office, you know, and I was like, couldn't open my mouth, you know. John and Paul saw them write a song or two, but I'm not going to mention that. <laughs>
0: Hello and welcome to episode 19 of Vintage Rock Pod, the podcast series that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. I'm Paul Stevenson. Thanks, as always, for hitting play. Now, I've got a bumper show lined up for you today with not one, but two fantastic interviews. Now, we love classic rock stories, and these two guys have got some fantastic connections. You're going to hear stories about rubbing shoulders with the Beatles, winning an award for working with Elvis in his music catalogue before he died, and about the late Ken Hensley. All from a man with more than 50 years in the music business, David Bowie's former manager no less, Steve Weltsman. But before we get him though, we're going to hear from a brilliant guitar player as well, singer-songwriter, who had number ones on the rock charts in America in the 90s. He's a member of Thin Lizzy and played with Alice Cooper on multiple tours and albums as well as many, many more. He's got a new album and a new band. I'll be speaking to Damon Johnson. But before we hear from Damon, a quick thank you to the raft of people who signed up to become a VRP VIP last week. I really do appreciate you all joining in. It's really simple. Just go to VintageRockPod.com and fill in the form on that page and you'll get the chance to ask a question to future guests. You'll find out first who's on upcoming episodes and you'll be in with a chance of winning goodies too. So just sign up now. VintageRockPod.com. Don't be missing out. We've also got a load of reaction last week to the Jeff Downs interview that I did. In particular, his revelation that he had unfinished material with John Wetton that he still had to work on. I shared this on social and it got spread across the old Facebook and Twitter like crazy and also got picked up by a few music news outlets too, which is always nice, you know. Uh, I want to say hello to Pat McGee from Ireland, uh, Charlotte Lewison in Tennessee and Corey Beaumont in Georgia for reaching out on email this week. A whole host of folks on YouTube, Martin Osborne, Martin Kelcher. Uh, Dave J, Christopher Yem, Janine Humberto and Jack Elquist and everyone else who's messaged me and left comments and things like that on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter too, it really is much appreciated, I love conversing with you all please feel free to reach out on all the socials, just search for Vintage Rock Pod and lastly a quick shout out to former guest on the show, Dire Straits original drummer Pick Withers, now his online gig with his new band Slim Pickings happened on Saturday night, it was fantastic, it was a great selection of songs, a nice chilled Saturday night vibe and I hope you enjoyed it too if you purchased a ticket right now on with the show and it was a great pleasure chatting with my first guest no stranger to playing here in the uk as part of thin lizzy and and one of his recent bands as well black star riders it's another great engaging conversation and we talk about his new band and his new album and i've got permission to play some of the tracks so enjoy this interview with damon johnson and we'll lead in with the first track on this new album it's the title track of the album it's called battle lessons I'm delighted to say my next guest on Vintage Rock Pod is a man who's been in some incredible bands. We're talking Black Star Riders, we're talking Brothers Kane, we're talking working with Alice Cooper, Thin Lizzy, and now with his own band, Damon Johnson and The Get Ready. He's got a brand new album out and we're delighted to speak to him now. We're going to speak to the main man himself, Damon. Welcome to Vintage Rock Pod.
2: My pleasure, Paul. How are
0: you doing, buddy? I'm good man I'm good it's great to speak to you as I said you've you've been in some incredible bands and and still with some incredible bands as well you've got one heck of a story to tell which I'm I'm looking forward to hearing about but let's get let's get on with your, your album it's fantastic I've had have had a good few listens to it um Battle Lessons it's it's really hard it's a good rocking album is that what you, you you wanted to do when you set out when you started to record and write for this one
2: I think so yes um the first two songs that we wrote for this record were uh track number two can't clap any louder and uh, a song toward the end of the record called lightning bolt mm-hmm. and both of those songs made just they were so much fun for me to <laughs> to i remember sitting in this is my little office here this is where i make my demos and stuff like that and i just remember working on it and uh i wrote most of these songs with my old friend jim troglin just one of my best mates and I remember sending him the demos and his reaction. He was like, what, like, this is amazing. <laughs> so I think especially after those two songs were written, I just made a conscious decision like, hey, let's make a focused, riff heavy, badass rock and roll record. Let's rock out. Yeah.
0: Good stuff. Yeah. And how long has it taken to, to get to where we are now? Cause it's, it's just come out, hasn't it? It's just been released, but it's been in the works for a while. It
2: has, mate. Um, We started writing those songs back in October of 2019, and um, we went into the studio with my great friend, producer legend, Nick Rasculinix, and we started really the end of February, early March, almost a year ago, right now Mm. is when we were were working. And uh, because of his busy schedule, we had already decided to record the songs in groups of three so like we would do three songs. He would go back to some mega band that he was <laughs> producing and then we would come back later, but I'll never forget it. Being out in the vocal booth, uh, we had recorded the title track battle lessons can't clap any louder and let the healing begin. I was singing and Nick came over the talk back and he said, Hey brother, the NBA just canceled their entire season, uh, you know, because of COVID yeah. and right at that moment, you know, we knew, okay, we're going to have to close the studio. It's just, yeah. So I felt like that was an interesting point to bring up because, you know, again, that was a year ago, brother. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't until I think July, June or July that we got in to do three more. And then the final three, we finally got in in October, okay. maybe the first of November actually is when we did the final three. So yeah, not ideal. So I, I not ideal to make a record that way, but I could not be more pleased with the results. And, uh, you know, I guess we'll always look at it like, hey, you just do what you have to do. And uh, I'm, I'm just grateful, man, that it's out and that the reaction has been so positive as it has been.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like I said before, it is a really rocking album. It's a fast album. It's up there. Um, my favorite track on it, if you don't mind, is, is track four, Shadow Country. I love how it's it's really ominous to start with. It's almost kind of brooding, isn't it? And then the bass drum kicks and then the guitar comes in. and it, It's just brilliant. I love it.
2: Thank you very much, Paul. It's a very, very special song. That is the one track on the album that had not been written when we started the record. Okay. I, it was between those first two groups of songs. You know, we were on the break and I remember Nick calling me. He said, hey, man, listen, we're going to have to wait anyway. He goes, if you can write another song or two, it never hurts. Let's see if we could come up with something that, you know, can rise to the occasion. Mm -hmm. I felt like that's what we were able to do.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great track. And um, in terms of the the release and everything that yourself, it's it's an independent release, isn't it? It's it's one that you've put together and and kind of done on your own back.
2: Everything's in-house, brother. This is our little mom and pop operation, (laughs) myself and my wife and my kids. This past three weeks has been just filled with shoving CDs into envelopes and t-shirts <laughs> and signing things. And it's, it's been a lot of fun, you know, you never know what the future holds, Paul. I think that would it would certainly be fantastic to work with the right label partner. Mm-hmm. Um, I just haven't come across that situation yet. There were a couple offers on the table, you know, from some good companies, but I really like the idea of ownership you know owning the record myself kind of being in, in charge of mm-hmm. the decision making about you know what publicists to work with how to treat working in at radio and even the distribution yeah you know distribution is almost is kind of a joke now because there is no distribution people stream it yeah they can certainly order the physical copies off my website but it's not like it's it's in the shops at uh, um What's the big record store in the UK, (laughs) Uh,
0: like HMV or something like that? Yeah,
2: HMV. Thank you. (laughs) It's yeah, it's not like HMV is going to be carrying uh, the Damon Johnson and the Get Ready (laughs) records. So, you know, but the fans in the UK have been amazing. You know, I have filled so many orders and
0: brilliant.
2: You know, uh, it's interesting because now you guys are dealing with Brexit, and that's absolutely affected the cost of shipping and it's like it's a i remember my wife being like oh no what a mess and i'm like hey look the fans want this record we're going to do whatever we can to get it to them so Good uh, stuff. yeah man double double dragon records we're we're proud to uh to be putting out all all my solo stuff on on that imprint
0: brilliant. and like you said you can, you can stream it that sort of stuff but if people like me want the hard copy then you can get a cd you can get 180 gram vinyl as well and and just give us your website again so we can we can all log in and, and purchase that
2: yeah paul thank you simply Damonjohnson.com. everything's right there at your fingertips it's real easy to navigate my website i'm really proud of of how the site is looking right now uh thank you yeah man we we're turning those orders around within 48 hours, you know. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you order one, today, we'll ship it today. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> there you go. That's a promise. <laughs> and yeah. Damon, we, we've yeah, got man. you on. It'd be remiss of us not to talk about some of the, the other acts that we mentioned at the start there. I mean, some incredible lineup. Let's start with um I don't know, Alice Cooper. Shall we just throw a big name out there? Um you worked with That's Alice That's a big name. Yeah, indeed it is. Yeah, you worked with him for for a while, didn't you? Played on albums, toured with him many, many times. And um how did all that come about then?
2: In two thousand and four, my old friend Eric Dover was playing guitar in Alice's band. He had been in the band for at least three or four years at that time. And Eric was getting ready to move on to do some some other things. And he told Alice, he said, I know the guy that would be the right fit to come in and replace me if he's available. So Eric called me one night. He was a bit in the bag. I think he'd had a few drinks. And uh, <laughs> he, was, he just said, hey, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave this gig. And I'm going to tell them you're the guy. So I think they're going to want you to audition. And I just remember thinking that's not going to happen. I'm not going to, you know, I just thought Eric was being nice, maybe a little drunk, you know? Um, (laughs) And sure enough, man, uh, about a week later, I got a call from the tour manager. We arranged the audition and, um, you know, it just wouldn't have happened without, without Eric. And uh, yeah, man, playing with Alice Cooper is just a, a, Massive career highlight for me. It did so much for my confidence, Paul. Yeah. Um, you know, to have a legend of, of Alice's caliber to, you know, to kind of give me the, the, the sign of approval. You know, he's had so many great musicians in his band yeah. throughout his career. So uh, I learned a lot from Coop. And there's no question, man, uh, performing with him was a thrill writing songs with him was just it was just it was an honor man you know yeah, it's man. like <laughs> god alice has written so many timeless classic hits you know i'm just grateful for that experience man coop and i are good friends i just talked to alice last week and um you know our our families are connected and you know our kids have grown up together so it's uh it's fantastic oh, amazing i
0: know he's a big fan of golf did he get you into golf
2: well The interesting thing about that is that I already played golf a bit when I joined the band. And I remember our very first conversation, he was thrilled when I told him, you know, I asked, I said, Hey, can I bring my golf clubs? He was like, what? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Paul, the number of rounds of golf we played is, is gluttonous. It is, it's not to be believed. Um, If the tour for the entire year, if we played a hundred tour dates, we easily, not exaggerating, we easily played 75 or 80 rounds of golf in that year. So do the math, (laughs) mate. I was in the band for five years. That's about 400 rounds of golf.
0: You must've got some nice courses as well if you're touring the world with Alice
2: Cooper. (laughs) Just the stuff of dreams. If you love golf, (laughs) And in the Alice Cooper gig is like, you've just won the lottery. You've literally won the lottery. <laughs> and, uh, I have so many great memories of, uh, you know, so many different tracks and it's just so much fun with Coop. He's, he's just, he's a good hang and he's, uh, he's so much yeah. fun. Really, really loved my time with Al Stuff,
0: and you mentioned like winning the lottery. It must have felt like that when uh, you got the chance to to perform and play, and you still do when, when things are working right with with Thin Lizzy. Because you were a big fan of Thin Lizzy, weren't you, as a kid?
2: Yeah, that story is is really incredible. It's um, I never tire of uh, thinking about it, much less talking about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, because Thin Lizzy was, you know, they were on my Mount Rushmore of most influential bands on my life, on my music, my guitar playing, later on my songwriting, Uh, you know, just massive. And it still doesn't feel real, honestly, Paul. And I know for you guys over there in the UK, I mean, Thin Lizzy, they kind of occupy the same space that a band like Aerosmith does here or a band like Van Halen does here in the US. Just, Just one of the greatest bands of all time. So it's just been a joy, you know, to stand next to Scott Gorham, my hero. uh, And now my great friend, you know, he's carried me to other places that I would have never gotten to go and perform. And, um, you know, the passion that Thin Lizzy fans have for the music, it rivals no other band and the way that those fans accepted me Mm -hmm. and, and embraced, you know, whatever energy and whatever musicality I brought to it, is just again made one of the great honors of my career because uh i would be the same way you know if i went to see thin lizzie and they had a new guitar player i would be standing there thinking hey this guy better be good you know <laughs> he better be good or i'm gonna get very frustrated <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so uh yeah another just another career highlight for me and, and i'm so proud to be a part of that story
0: and can you remember when you first saw or heard Thin Lizzy or anything like that? What, what got you into Thin Lizzy? What was it that drew, drew you in then to start with?
2: Paul, it's another incredible story. I was 15 years old in 1979, and I went with my mates to the auditorium uh, about two hours north of the little town we grew up in, and we went to see Ted Nugent. We had not heard anything about an opening act. We didn't know. We didn't really care. We're like, you know, we love Ted Nugent's guitar playing and his songs. And so I remember my friend's dad, he pulled us, he pulled in the front of the venue to let us out. And they had one of those big signs out front that said, tonight, Ted Nugent, special guest, Thin Lizzy. And I remember saying to my friend, like, oh, I've heard their song. They got that song. The boys are back in town. That's all I knew. Mm -hmm. So we go in right as the house lights go down, you know, we're standing on the floor, the smoke, the sirens are kicking off. And then there's this big power cord and the spotlights come on and this six foot four lanky, skinny black guy playing a Fender precision bass that had a mirrored pick guard on it. And he's shining the reflection into the audience, (laughs) onto the girls brother, that was like an explosion not it, it, me and my friends we were all like, what the fuck is happening <laughs> what is this? this is crazy And uh, you know over the course of the next 45 minutes, they pummeled my teenage brain <laughs> with awesome song after awesome song, great riffs, great songs and that was it that was it. You know, I went to the record store the next day. I bought three albums and I saved my money. And I think the next month I went back and bought three more. So that was it. I was on my way. And then Lizzie was heavy, heavy, heavy in my listening, essential listening really for the rest of my life after that night yeah
0: incredible absolutely incredible stories and again I could speak to you all day talk about all your stories but we can only touch on some of the some of the bits here in the interview and, and just something else I want to talk about when you're in um Brother Kane you had some big hits over in America and things like that but again um, you toured with some incredible bands and I'm talking about you you've mentioned them yourself just a few moments ago like Severa Smith and, and Van Halen I mean again pinch me moments
2: yeah totally pinch me moments. Yeah, Brother Kane was such a blessing. Um, you know, for four guys from Alabama. You know, Alabama is not like the hotbed of rock and roll bands. It never has been. It's still not to this day. Mm-hmm. So I just remember having this this feeling of being a bit overwhelmed constantly. Like I couldn't believe that our song was on the radio. I couldn't believe that. You know, our song went to number one the summer of 93, and then we had another number one two years later. But yeah, those were magical phone calls, you know, that we would get. We'd be on the road and, you know, this is long before cell phones. So, you know, you'd stop at a truck stop to put to gas up the van, you know, while we're out touring. And and I would call the office and they'd say, Damon, we just got the call. We got we're going to do eight dates with Aerosmith, (laughs) you know, running back to the van and telling the guys. Oh, my God. Guess what? (laughs) You know, so I just think, um, you know, none of those things that happened afterwards, Paul, would have ever happened had it not been for Brother Kane and that experience. That's what led to Alice Cooper, Thin Lizzy, Black Star Writers, all of that, man. It just it was a proper band. We got a lot of attention. I learned so much about touring. I learned so much about how the whole business works, Mm -hmm. you know, radio and promotion and marketing and publicity. And it's a lot to learn and it takes some time. And and that's really what the 90s did for me. It was like an incredible education and, and an amazing experience.
0: You talk about education and, and learning from these guys um to promotion the radio, that sort of stuff. did you learn about things like stage presence and because you are literally touring with masters, aren't you? Did you watch them and go, "Oh okay, maybe maybe I shouldn't be doing this or maybe I should be doing that." Did you pick up little tips like that as well?
2: Yeah, for sure, man. You know, the Brother Kane days were interesting because you know we were just a straight ahead rock and roll band. you know we were as influenced by you know Bad company and the Doobie Brothers as we were influenced by Guns N' Roses and Soundgarden you know we loved all that classic rock stuff so it was a moment in time in the 90s you know where grunge was the big thing and you know a lot of got, ga- you know a lot of bands sort of staring at their shoes and yeah. there wasn't a lot it wasn't as much about spectacle and performing and you know what i mean yeah yeah but imagine the thrill then to join Alice Cooper a master showman a legend in in the art of rock performance um it was like i was a dog i was a dog off the leash paul it was like he goes (laughs) i want you running around i want you jumping up on the risers (laughs) i want you right up front in the guitar solos get out there in the spotlight he only had to tell me once brother (laughs) (laughs) he only had to tell me once and uh and it was, it was on. It was on. <laughs>
0: brilliant. And then yeah. just one last band to touch on, um, that, if you don't mind, Black Star Riders. They were another big band and, and still touring and things like that today. I mean, did you enjoy your time with Black Star? I, I spoke to you before we started the interview there. I've seen you live with the band as well. It was, it was great to see the performance. Did you enjoy your time with, with the group?
2: It was just brilliant. Everything about it. I've said it before that I joined Thin Lizzy to play those legendary songs with my hero, Scott Gorham. But you know, I agreed to be a part of black star writers because I wanted to perform and write songs with Ricky Warwick. Uh, Ricky was someone that really wasn't on my radar. I had heard of his name. I'd heard of the almighty. Yeah. And we had a lot of mutual friends. I remember right when I got the thin Lizzy uh, phone call, you know, I had some friends call me and go, Oh, you're going to love Ricky. You know, he's great. And, uh, And he was, and he is, and we're great friends to this day. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't be making solo records, Paul, had it not been for my time in Black Star Writers. And I mean that in the total positive way.
0: Yeah,
2: I learned so many things, you know, and hey, let's be honest, man. We're talking about, you know, I'm way into my career, mate. I'm, you know, (laughs) I've been doing this a long time. So what an unforeseen privilege to learn so much uh, you know, over those years between 2013 and 2018, uh, you know, we made three quality records together. The tours were always fantastic, the yeah. fans were great. I, I have a special place in my heart for Black Star Writers, always will.
0: Tremendous! So it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you, Damon. And just as a reminder, um, the album is out now. Battle Lessons. Everybody, I recommend you get there and, and download it and stream it and uh, and purchase the real thing. Get a, get a copy you can hold in your hands. And, and Damon will he'll, he'll even seal the envelope and send it to you himself. What, are you, Damon?
2: That's exactly what will happen. I'm happy to uh, to sign it. I'll I'll even personalize it, man. We love we love being able to do all this stuff uh, on our own right here out of Nashville, Tennessee. Paul, thank you for your time, buddy. And, uh, you know, again, man, uh, continued success and good health to you and your family. And and, uh, can't wait to get over there and bring this band. Cannot wait to bring the Get Ready to the UK.
0: We look forward to seeing you too, Damon. Thank you very much for your time. All right,
2: brother. All the best.
0: Such a nice guy. And do check out that album as well. Damon Johnson and the Get Ready. It's Battle Lessons, the top album. And the classic rock stories do not stop there, people. No, no way. Here comes another interview. It's number two for this episode. And it contains stories of the Beatles and Elvis and David Bowie and many, many more. It was my pleasure to catch up with music industry stalwart. As I said, David Bowie's personal manager, no less. Here to talk all about that and the special new Ken Hensley album, My Book of Answers. Here's my chat with Steve Weltman. Joining me next then on Vintage Rock Pod is a man who's been there, seen it and done it with some of the biggest names in classic rock. And he's here to talk about a very special album indeed. I'm delighted to welcome to the show, Mr. Steve Weltman.
3: Hi, hi, Paul. Good to be here.
0: Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, yeah, I mentioned you've worked with some of the biggest names in, in rock and we'll get to that shortly. But first of all, a special album, an album which is now tinged with sadness. Very sadly, because it's the brand new one from Ken Hensley, who sadly passed away, mm-hmm. didn't he, in November last year. But uh, yeah, you were his manager for, for a long time. You knew him really well, didn't you? Uh,
3: yeah, I, I actually looked after him for the last 11 years, which I think makes me the longest serving manager he ever had. <laughs> <laughs> you must have
0: done something right then. <laughs> yeah.
3: um, I just, uh, if I may, um, correct you. Um, okay the album is not tinged with sadness the album you know we finished last summer when ken was alive nothing's happened to it since he passed apart from the fact that we well we mastered it before he passed probably about six weeks before and we always plan to bring it out this year around now um the sadness obviously is absolutely out of nowhere He decided to go on his next journey. Um, And, um, you know, I last spoke to him on November the 3rd, 6.30 in the evening. Kind of around 7.30 the following day, he wasn't with us anymore. Uh, It was very, very sudden. Indeed. So, um, yeah, I mean, the album uh, was made in kind of unique circumstances. Yeah Which I could briefly explain Or leave you to do
0: No go for it Steve You're the man, best place yeah. to do this The album's called My okay. Book of Answers Tell us about The, the uniqueness behind yeah. it
3: Yeah um, Well Ken um, Was always great With his his audience Whether it was on the street Or on a stage Ken lived In the middle of nowhere In Spain mm-hmm. And the nearest airport Was Alicante And Ken had gone to check in For a flight Via Moscow To St Petersburg And I was flying Directly from London And And um, he got a tap on the shoulder, the chap asked for a photograph, but just pointed at the camera at him. Ken said, fine. Mm-hmm. So they both actually got on the plane, both in business class. And during the flight, a stewardess was coming over, translating what this chap was saying. He was a Russian gentleman, lifelong fan. Then he approached Ken a while later and asked Ken if he would do a like a little private show at his house in because in Spain. I can agreed, went up for a nice dinner, played a few songs. And this chap said, Look, he said, you know, my hobby is poetry. If I send you a couple of poems, do you think you could put music to it? So originally, you know, Ken was polite and said, Yeah, I can give it a go, you know, I'll have a look. Never done anything like it. He left the following day, called me and told me, and he said, What do you think? And I can't remember what time of year, I think it was September and 19 this would be, and we'd already agreed that we weren't going to do anything the first three months of 2020 because we had had a very busy year. Mm -hmm. We had recorded another album earlier in 2019, but we never wanted that out until the end of this year. So there's more to come, folks. That's good to hear. So I said, look, you know, when you get some poems, have a look. You know, see if you think you can do something, you know, just try something, do a little demo on your phone or something. There's no need to, you know, bring in people or go into a studio. It's just, you know, for you being nice to a fan. So uh, I can't remember, not that long past, and he got quite a few, not two poems, he got a load. (laughs) And Ken, of course, as people that know Ken, uh, you know, lyrics are vitally important and there's always written his, all his lyrics. So he said he got them, he's pulled out a couple and started working on them. Then he sent me a couple of demos and said, what do you think? And I said, I actually really, I like this. I think we should take it a bit further, just see. I mean, you might have a song here. We could put it on an album. Long story short, for you know it, he's done a bit more, sends... Uh, um, an mp3 to vladimir the demo who freaks out <laughs> says he wants to do an album <laughs> so that's how the album was born and the uh you know vladimir to this day still doesn't speak spanish which ken did doesn't speak english which ken did and ken doesn't speak russian although russia is a huge market for ken Probably our biggest live market in the world.
0: Yeah. So in terms of the album itself, then, musically and things like that, we obviously know Ken's back catalogue mm-hmm. and Heap and everything like that. How would you describe this album?
3: Different. It's definitely different. Um, I mean, the first song on the album called Lost My Guardian, you know, if you like, is out the Ken Hensley songbook. Mm-hmm. The third track, which we released the video of last Friday um, called Cold Sacrifice is probably it's classic vintage, classic rock. Hensley yeah. uh, on that track, where well, in the video you see there's Hammond, um, but it's it's more guitar led. This that song, uh, and it varies. I mean, the song that's called Stan Chase the Beast Away, yeah, you know, you could say it's about the virus, it's actually more about the media, Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> <Okay. laughs> the media, Paul. <laughs> yeah, um, sorry, <laughs> and, and Ken's. You know, it had very strong views that the media just want to impart fear on the public. And that certainly relates the mainstream media to the virus. No question. Globally, not just in England. (laughs) Um, And that song is a more, not that they'll play it, but more kind of radio too. Uh, It has a a wider appeal. appeal. Probably the nearest thing to, to Prague ends the album that's a track called suddenly so again i'd heard a okay. an early early kind of demo version of um when they started really recording it and ken sent over to me he said what do you think of this i need some tweaks and uh so i called him but i won't tell you what i said to him about a few elements of the mix but i said i said there's i've got a major problem with it he said what's that I said, it's too short. <laughs> Steve, it's over five minutes. I said, it's too short. I didn't want it to end. The introduction is absolutely brilliant and lasts about two and a half minutes. Then you, if you like, then you get the voice and the lyrics. And I'd rather have the intros, the outro as well. Yeah. You know, I didn't want it to end. But that's, that's a kind of real prog prog-based uh, vibe to it.
0: Good, good. And you've kind of teased us as well by saying there's, there's another album on the way. Can you give us any information on that? No,
3: absolutely <laughs> not. Uh, all I can tell you is it's it's the most different thing he's ever done, and it's very unique. Wow, fantastic. And there are very, very few artists that could have pulled it off. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very special record, and he absolutely loved it. And
0: you're talking about later in the year, are we talking autumn time, late summer?
3: I'm hoping November.
0: November, okay.
3: And that will be a year since his passing. So it will be a beautiful celebration
0: lovely way to put it now steve as we've got you on it'd be, be a shame not to talk about the rest of your history as well um now you're <laughs> i just see your face <laughs> your career goes back over 50 years doesn't it it's incredible just waiting for the judge
3: to walk in
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah now go 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 uh no i'm only kidding um <laughs> but yeah your career started many many moons ago didn't it in the early 60s as a t-boy at uh was it Brian Epstein's company?
3: Yes, at, at NEMS Enterprises. Um, you know, I was a music fan. Both my parents uh, were musicians. Um, and But, I, you know, I love music. I, you know, I was given freedom to listen to anything at home. And um, I knew Brian's company it was called NEMS Enterprises. And I saw an ad in one of the music papers. Uh, Brian's office was in... Um, argyle street about four doors down from the london palladium i was 15 years old by the way and my parents were loving but they shouldn't have let me leave school but they did and you could legally then leave at that age so they bought me a suit i came out of oxford circus tube station and the street was full of kids (laughs) and i'm thinking they're all waiting to see the beatles or you know jerry and the pacemakers or silla or billy j crame all the acts because brian managed all those acts and uh, so i walked past all these kids <laughs> went into argyle house and a six foot five scouser called fred um fred sefton said where do you think you're going la and i said <laughs> i pulled out my letter. i went i've got an interview with mr peter brown and he said, and so all those kids outside. <laughs> so I went, you know, outside. About 10 minutes later, he came out with a megaphone. And he said, um, we're going to start the interviews in alphabetical order. <laughs> this was 2 o'clock. Oh, no. <laughs> You're right. So at 5 o'clock, you know, 3 hours at 15 years old, might as well have been 3 years. Yeah, I couldn't even believe I was still there. I walked into Peter Brown's office and who must have been as bored as me because he was basically saying the same thing. So I sat down and he said, um, and he started saying that, right, these are the hours. And I said, hang on a minute. Excuse me, Mr. Brown. I said, how much nice does job pay? You've kept me waiting out there three hours. <laughs> and he said, uh, I can't remember what he said, he, you know, pays this. And I said, well, that's no good. I'm worth three times that amount. And he, and he hit his intercom, and I think it was Maureen. And he said, <laughs> Maureen, he said, there's anybody less, tell them to go home. I found, finally found the cheeky sod we want. <laughs> so that was the beginning. Um, I worked, well, obviously, I did the post, did the mail, ran errands. used to go a, a lot over to Brian's London house beautiful home in Belgravia, um, where I often often saw John and Paul, who always in Joanne, private secretary's office at the top of the house. I saw them write a song or two, but I'm not going to mention that, <laughs> um, or the songs anyway, um, literally. Um, and um, predominantly the guy, like, he wasn't my boss, but he helped me an awful lot. The guy is still around and he's the leading Beatle expert in the world. His name is Tony Bramwell. And he'd come down from Liverpool with Brian and he also went on to Apple. So uh, any any of your uh, listeners uh, want to know about the Beatles, Tony Bramwell's the guy to check out. We'll get in touch with So I had a, a baptism early, the first kind of two or three weeks. There were times when the Beatles came in the office, you know, and I was like, just you know, <laughs> couldn't open my mouth, you know. And then after kind of two and a half, three weeks, they were just, I realized they only had two legs and two arms and one head. And so that was it. And really, that was, I was very lucky in that sense because I, I've never been in awe mm-hmm. of any artist I've ever met in the business. Now, if you bought Roger Federer or Tiger Woods or Jack Nicholas, or oh, Pele, maybe, to me. I'd be a little bit. But otherwise, music people, just they're just great people. Most of them are, anyway. So it was kind of, that was a great learning. And it was a wonderful time. I mean, you know, and nobody knew what they were doing. <laughs> no, but, you know. I mean, Brian, obviously, you know, got them suits, had their haircuts, you know, outside of turning them from the, uh, like, the Hamburg Beatles, which I'm sure everybody knows. Yeah. the jeans and the leather jackets into the, the little boys in the suits. And, um, you know, but loads of the things that happened. I mean, probably right through that period into the 70s, even in, in the record business where I ended up for 25 years, I mean, a lot of them in the early days were accidents because there was, no, there was nothing to go on. So there was no model that you yeah. could look at and think, how did they go about it?
0: Did you talk about the end of the seventies there and and going to work for um an idol, an absolute legend, a man that I'm sure you were delighted to go and work for David Bowie. I mean, how did that come about to start with? How were you asked to join that party?
3: Yeah, um well when Bill died who owned Mountain, Nazareth manager, um, you know, I I left and uh um I knew a man in New York called Ken Glancy was the by President of RCA Records. He wanted the last X years of his life before he retired for the South of France to be in Europe. So he chose to come to Britain. And he'd known me from my uh, Charisma BNC time and thought I was quite innovative and, and asked me to go over there. Uh, and so I was with um, David through... Um, low heroes scary monsters and the double live album stage Um, and you know i wrote did all his copy did all the created all the marketing got awards um (laughs) nme gave me the i got an um uh, an award in 78 but in their yearbook i was given a copy line Of the decade. (laughs) There you go. Because when we were coming in the late 70s, you know, we were coming to a kind of hiatus in music, in rock, pop. Um, And as about punk was going to explode, the media decided it was you were old wave or new wave. We just, David had just finished the Heroes album. So I took double-page ads out, and on the left-hand side of the page, as you looked at it, it simply said, there's old wave, there's new wave, and there's David Bowie.
0: <laughs> brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and I still
3: have the award. It's not one I've given away or very proud of that. And it was, of course, an extraordinary record. You know, David, Bob Fripp, I mean, wow. Oh. You know, Tony Visconti, so I mean, great people. Um, you know, Scary Monsters was uh, wonderfully interesting. I have the signed artwork of that album in Fort Knox, by the way, for anybody who's listening. Um, you know, I, I, I was at the Rainbow when David did the first uh, live concert of Ziggy with the Lindsay Kemp dancers. And and that, that was way before, you know, five years before I went to RCA. I mean, you know, Guy was...
0: Fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff. I could sit and listen to your stories all day, but one more um, big name that we'd like to hear from is you managed the catalogue of Elvis, or oh, there's some connection with Elvis. What was that?
3: Oh, well, that's RCA. Um, when I... Joined was it beginning of seventy seven. Uh, I think was, I was I was asked to go into a meeting and it was about Elvis, not about David. Things were kicked about and people were looking for ideas, and so came up with this idea of going back to the original. Elvis had sixteen number one singles in the UK, mm-hmm. and I went to go back to the American picture bags with each single. Put them together in a, in a box, started a big campaign called Presley Gold 16 number ones. I think that was in April 77 it came out. Mm-hmm. And you could only buy the box with six, it was like a just a black cardboard box, but with all this, um, the name in gold on it and all the picture bags and the singles inside. And it created this huge storm. And then radio starts playing. And then I think 14 of the songs entered the top 30 mm-hmm. and RCA owned its own manufacturing plant and they couldn't keep up with the demand. And then it was going into Europe and this went right into, was it August? Uh, August. And of course he died. And then it was Bedlam. <laughs> it was Bedlam. Um, <laughs> RCA I had big arguments because I was having David's records manufactured at the RCA plant, and they stopped that, and we had to get them manufactured by Warner Brothers and EMI because the entire RCA plant was Elvis. manufacturing <laughs> Elvis records. Yes, an extraordinary experience, and I I was presented with a a wonderfully unique gold disc.
0: Fantastic
3: by the company that that's. Uh, I could go and read it and it's hanging on the wall at home uh, Outstanding Management Achievement that's what it was but um, yeah I mean it's, uh, it's just a shame it was then mm-hmm. I wish it had been the 50s I'd have met him in the 50s because you know at the end he's he didn't look great as we all know and um, so uh, but and it, extraordinary I mean it, you know extraordinary he changed the world Elvis certainly did he changed the world it's like a lot of people now bono of you two gets you know a lot of stick now you know because he's become a very caring person for the last 20 odd years but if you ask him what inspired him Elvis you ask Ken Hensley what inspired him was Elvis Presley you know and uh I'm sure there are many, many more.
0: Absolutely. Yep. There's quite a few that have mentioned him over the weeks that I've been speaking to, to guests as well. I, I really do appreciate you taking the time to speak to us today and uh, I love hearing stories and, and everything else about some of these incredible artists and you have had an incredible career. So thank you very much for joining us on, on Vintage Rock Podcast. So far. So far, it indeed. It goes on. indeed, For many more years to come, we hope. Thank you, Paul. Another fantastic interview there. I love hearing all those stories. It's incredible, isn't it? And now it's time to move on to this week's top five list. But before we get on to the new one, I want to say hello to Joseph K for the chat last week about Asia's top five. My number one choice, go. he'd never heard of it, but he got in touch to say it was an effing jam. So there you go, he couldn't believe he hadn't heard it. And Robert Hollis as well, who agreed in principle, he says, with the top five, but he'd have found room for here comes the feeling. I always enjoy getting the feedback on these lists. Right, here we go. This week's choice then. It was a difficult one to kind of choose who I was going to pick with all the illustrious names that have been mentioned on the show, but I decided to go with, with David Bowie, seeing as though we had his manager on the show and all that. Now, when I made this decision, I didn't really think about how difficult it would be just to pick five songs. I sat down and I wrote some songs straight from my mind and I ended up with about 12 originally. I then went back and listened to the albums again and that list got to about 23. So I did a bit of whittling down, decided to speak to our good friend Tim Peacock from Record Collector Magazine and YouDiscoverMusic.com and to be honest, he kind of made things worse by throwing other songs into the mix. But it's a difficult choice, let's be honest with you, because Bowie had five number one singles in the uk alone 18 other top 10 hits in an incredible career which had nine number one albums again all this just in the uk and that's not including all the massive hit singles and albums and everything you had everywhere else in the world so when i give you my top five remember that on any other given day it could quite easily be a completely different five songs that are selected so right here and now here's my personal top five which is a thankless task but anyway here's the top five david bowie songs according to vintage rock pod At five is a track from the 1983 album Let's Dance. It's perhaps popular than others, but a track I've always loved. Its funky groove, no doubt heavily influenced by Nile Rodgers, who co-produced. At five is Modern Love. Going back to 1974 for our number four, from the album Diamond Dogs, often referred to as his farewell to glam rock. Now, its riff is as recognizable as any from any stadium rock band. It's a song close to me as well because we used to cover it when I was in a band in college. At number four is Rebel Rebel. At three, we're going to the Hunky Dory album in 1971. It wasn't released as a single until 1973 though. It's a sci-fi masterpiece, one of many anthems and even as poignant today given the NASA space mission. At three is Life on Mars at number two is a song originally written and played by Bowie's short-lived early band arnold Corns. it found its way onto the legendary the rise and fall of ziggy stardust and the spiders from mars album in 1973 although not a single it's one of my favorites it's got a harder edge to this track and mick ronson's soaring guitar work is brilliant at number two is moon age daydream and at number one is the anthem to end all anthems released in 1977 from the album of the same name It goes down in history for many reasons legacy reasons the german government thanked bowie for helping to bring down the wall with this song it's a great song the lyrics are great the melody drives along and it's quite rightly regarded on those lists of greatest songs of all time and number one is the iconic heroes as always let me know your thoughts on that top five list i do love to hear from you check us out on all the social media channels facebook twitter instagram youtube just search for vintage rock pod or drop me an email, vintagerockpod at gmail.com. And that's it for a bumper edition episode 19, then. If it's the first time you've listened, please do go back and check out all the other great interviews in previous weeks There's some fantastic, incredible, big-name guests with some great stories to tell. Please subscribe and follow this podcast on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on, Leave me a nice five-star rating too, if that's possible. A little review, as it all helps with the ranking and visibility. And, to be honest, it's free. And don't forget to sign up to become a VRP VIP at VintageRockPod.com. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your neighbours, tell your colleagues, tell anybody. Get listening to us and join in. Until episode 20, then, remember, if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of rock, just tell them, my music is better than yours. Take care.